Taking up your cross, suffering and sacrificing have been superseded with name it and claim it. And as dark as I know it looks out there, the good news is that God is advancing his kingdom. It's very exciting to be a part of his great commission. It's Sheila Zelensky. The Sheila Zelensky Show, the only show to give you the truth behind the headlines, prophecy, and the deeper things of God. Now. Here is your host, End Time Watchwoman, Sheila Zielinski. Hello, listeners, and welcome to the Sheila Zielinski Show for this Wednesday, April 15th, 2015 edition. And a special shout out to all the new listeners over at WINB and, of course, to the folks at Worldwide Christian Radio and all of you tuning in from around the globe. You all know my next guest. My guest is Pastor David Lankford from thevoiceofevangelism.com. He is an old school powerhouse preacher. He's awake. He won't compromise. And I don't think I personally know a more prolific scriptorian. He's a dream come true for those of us tired of the theologically shallow doctrine of devils and he's who I consider to be the go-to pastor for the word of God and I am so glad to have him back on the program tonight to talk about the spirit-led life. Pastor Langford, welcome back to the show. It's a pleasure to have you back on. Sheila, it's always a joy to be with you and your listeners to share the word of God, to break the bread of life. Peter tells us in 1 Peter 3.18 to grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Christ Jesus. So I think it's imperative that we keep growing, and the only way to grow is to grow in the Word of the Lord. And uh, if we are growing, then we're not going to wither away. And regretfully, so many people are withering today because they are not growing, because they're not being nurtured and fed by the Word of God. The Word of God is bread. John 6.35, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger. He that believeth on me shall never thirst. So if we have the, the word of God, which is the bread of life, it will sustain us and help us to, to grow and, uh, and to mature. And that's sadly what's lacking in most Christians is spiritual maturity today. Well, I so agree, and especially Pastor Langford, with all the plethora of headlines. I mean, there's a litany of things. We're going to war. Oh, look, your food's all poisoned by Fukushima. And if you aren't already being genetically modified into oblivion, oh, and you're out of a job, well, good luck, because the unemployment rate hits an all-time high. And even if you have a job and money, your bank accounts will soon be seized by the maniacal 
too big to fail banksters. Oh, and hey, after Jade Helm implements martial law, civil war, and red list extractions, you'll be hauled off to a FEMA camp. I mean, when you take a macro view here, Pastor Langford, on what's going on with all this and then throw in the mix the morally bankrupt cesspool of a society we live in in the natural it's very hard not to be led by fear, stress, anxiety, and even sheer hopelessness. But the Bible tells us repeatedly, fear not. In all things, put your trust in God. And that is why it is so imperative for people to understand being led by the Holy Spirit, isn't it? Well, the Holy Spirit, the Greek is parakletos. He's the comforter. He's the one who comes along literally beside of us to give us aid, to give us comfort, to give us rest, to give us certitude, to give us peace and placidity. What Jesus was to the disciples, the Holy Ghost is to us. Christ was incarcerated in flesh, the incarnate Christ. So he could only be in one place at one time. But the Holy Spirit can be everywhere all the time with everyone who desires to be with him. So what Christ was to his disciples when they would lean their head on his breast, his bosom, we do the same in the Spirit, because the Spirit is the Spirit of Christ. The Holy Spirit is literally the Spirit of Christ. Just like man has a spirit, well then Christ, the Holy Spirit, is his Spirit. See, That's why he comforts, because it is the very nature of God himself through Jesus Christ Thus he said, I will not leave you comfortless. I will send you a comforter. She, this is why people need to understand the significance of the Holy Spirit, because so many churches today, of course, don't preach it, don't believe it. Um, you know, they say, well, when I got saved, I got the Spirit. Yeah, you got the Spirit, but you didn't get the baptism in the Spirit. In John 14 and 16, Jesus said, And I will pray the Father. And he shall give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him, but ye know him, for he dwelleth with you, and shall be in you. So he says the world cannot receive this that we are talking about. Right. So you have to be, of course, born again. Being born again allows you to receive the Spirit, Romans 8, 9, if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. But then there is the baptism in the Holy Spirit that now takes charge of our lives. And I know my pundits and detractors will say, well, well, when I got saved, I got the Spirit. You got the Spirit of Christ, but you did not get the baptism of the Spirit of Christ. And I will prove that from John 7, 38, 39. Jesus said, He that believeth on me, as the scripture has said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. But this spake he of the Spirit, which they that believe on him should receive, for the Holy Ghost was not yet given, because that Jesus was not yet glorified. How can you receive something that had not yet been given? These people believed, they were believers, they were born again, but they weren't baptized in the Holy Ghost. And so the people don't understand baptism, see? And so that's why he said, I'll bat- John said, he'll baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. I baptize you with water under repentance. Signify two different types of baptism. 
baptism of repentance, you're born again, your sins are washed away, and now you have the Spirit of Christ in your life. John says, but Jesus is going to baptize you with something else. It's going to be called the Holy Ghost and fire. And thus on the day of Pentecost, cloven tongues like as the fire set upon each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, spake with other tongues, as the Spirit of God gave them utterance. And of course, this is why the normal church is so weak, so anemic, because they're not preaching the acts of the apostles. And if you're not preaching that portion of the gospel, then you're not going to see any manifestations of that. Jesus told us in the 16th chapter of the book of Mark that he would confirm the word with signs following. Well, you have to preach that specific word, the baptism and the Holy Ghost, if you're going to see a manifestation of the Holy Ghost. Mark 16, 20. And they went forth and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them and confirming the word with signs following. So if I preach a message on repentance, I'm looking for the sign to be people repenting, getting saved. If I preach a message on sanctification, I'm looking for people to be cleansed, to be set apart, to be separated unto Christ. If I preach a message on healing, I'm looking for people to be healed. If I preach a message on the baptism of the Holy Ghost, I look for people to be baptized in the Holy Ghost. Whatever the case might be. So because they're not preaching the acts of the apostles, you're not going to see any manifestations because he will confirm that word with signs following. One of the great misnomers is to turn the television on and see a plethora of miracles, but no Bible preaching. So what is God confirming? That's the trickery. That's the chicanery. He said he would confirm the word with signs following. So the word must be preached for God to have something to confirm. It's like a witness. It's like a testimony. There has to be a witness to an event to say, I can testify this is what happened. We preach the word. The Holy Ghost then is the witness of the preached word, bringing these signs to fruition to follow after the preaching of the word. But again, as I said, the nominal church is no longer preaching anything about the book of Acts. I agree. And you just mentioned signs, and it's so important, as in what you just mentioned there in the book of Acts, that people be speaking in tongues. That is one of the signs. And a lot of people think, oh, that was done away with. That's not applicable. But it's more applicable than ever. And that really is a sign of somebody being baptized in the Holy Ghost is they speak in tongues. Yet people tend to shy away from that. But it's really important, isn't it? Well, absolutely. Romans eight twenty six. Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities, for when we know not what we ought to pray for as we should, the Spirit itself maketh intercession. The Holy Ghost begins to pray. You see, the reason we believe that when people receive the Holy Ghost and the sign is speaking in tongues is because James 3 and 8 said, But the tongue can no man tame. It is an unruly evil full of deadly poison. So when we believe that people receive the baptism in the Holy Ghost and they speak with other tongues, it's because they have wholly yielded even their tongue to the Lord and He. And what happens? The people make this so difficult, but you will hear those words in your spirit. 
you are like the trumpet. The trumpet itself cannot make a sound unless somebody picks it up and puts wind into the mouthpiece, and then they take their fingers and they push the vowels on the trumpet to make the different sounds, the different pitches, the different tones. Well, we are the trumpet. We're going to make the sound. But the Spirit is the breath. The Spirit is the breath that comes into us and gives us those utterances. And all we do is make the sound. You see, it comes, it comes out of us. It comes into us by the Spirit. But the utterance comes from the Spirit in us, meshed with the Holy Spirit, and thus we speak that, whatever that it might be. And, of course, they want to tell you that that went away with the early church. And uh, I was talking to a, a Baptist brother some time ago, and I just, I just began to witness to this guy. And after I witnessed to this guy, we walked off. He said, man, you need to help me pray about my ineffectiveness to witness. He said, I, I can't believe how bold you are to just witness about Jesus. And I kept on talking, and, saw, and I kind of set him up. And I said, so what do you think about the Holy Ghost? Well, I believe that went out with the early church. Well, well, see, the very thing he believes went out with the early church is what he needs to be an effective witness, because Acts 1-8 says, you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and unto the uttermost parts of the world. So the Holy Spirit is the power to even witness effectively. There's no timidness in the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God is bold. Now, the Spirit of God is meek. The Spirit of God is full of wisdom. The Spirit of God is full of compassion. Everything that God has ever given man, the devil corrupts it. For instance, God implemented marriage. What does the devil come along and do? He tries to redefine it and say, now men and men can get married, women and women. God gave us the Holy Ghost. Then we have these zealots out here who abuse the gifts of the Spirit and do things. So whatever God gives us, the devil then comes right along to distort it, to confuse it, to try to redefine it, or whatever the case might be. But I still believe in 1 Corinthians chapters 12, 13, and 14, where Paul addressed those issues relative to the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit. Nowhere does the Bible show us the Holy Spirit ever left the church. Well, and you just nailed Corinthians, and 1 Corinthians 2.14 says the person essentially without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, but considers them foolishness and cannot understand them because they're discerned only through the Spirit. So without the Holy Spirit, what's the point? Well, you see, without the Spirit, just like us as human beings, if my spirit left my body right now, you know what I am? I'm dead. If your spirit suddenly left your body, when you die, that's how you die. Your, the spirit leaves your body. Once the church denies the Holy Ghost the right to have preeminence in the church, then the church is dead. You see, God does not live in buildings. God lives in people. When I go to church, I bring the Holy Ghost with me to church. He lives in me. He does not live in a building. God did not breathe into the nostrils of a building. God breathed into the nostrils of a man, and man became a living soul. And John tells us he breathed on them and said, Receive ye the Holy Ghost. Amen. See? So as a pastor, I've been by the bedsides 
of people as they passed away, if they died. You know when it happens. The Spirit left them. They're dead. See? They died. In John 20, 22, And when he had said this, he breathed on them and saith unto them, Receive ye the Holy Ghost. So the Spirit is breath. As I said, you're the trumpet, but somebody's got to put the breath to the trumpet to make the sound. Well, he breathed on them. So they're going to make the uh, noise part, but the Spirit is going to give the utterance. And, of course, people are always afraid, is this me or is this the Holy Ghost? It's you, but it's the Holy Ghost being the wind behind it. He's the impetus. He's the power. And, of course, the scripture you so well quoted there in 1 Corinthians 2, 14, the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them, for they are spiritually discerned. You see, this is foolishness to a lot of people. But you can't refute the book of Acts. You can't take that whole book and do away with it. That's what a lot of people like to do. But that was God showing how the early church was supposed to operate in the Holy Ghost. The book of Acts is really a field manual for our daily Christian living, isn't it? Because, Pastor, all these Christians, they've got the Jesus fish on their car, they've got the bumper sticker, but you can't see a risen Jesus in their life. You don't see the Holy Ghost moving in their life. They go to church, they pay homage once a week, it's three hymns and a PowerPoint and somebody preaching from the Reader's Digest. That's a risen life? I mean, there are a lot of people woefully ignorant on the subject of being spirit-led, and they're flipping coins and asking everyone and their dog what they think. They're worried about majority opinion and general consensus, but that's not a spirit-led life, is it? Well, Paul in Second Timothy 3, 5, he said, Having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof from such turn away. Today's church is full of form and a, a litany of things and not spiritual manifestations of God. In the 13th chapter of Luke is a fine example. The ruler of the synagogue, this lady, was bound 18 years by this infirmity. She was a daughter of Abraham. That authenticates she was in covenant with God. She was a Christian. She was a believer, but she couldn't get deliverance. The Holy Ghost, Luke 4:18. Jesus said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor, to preach deliverance to the captives. She was held captive. He delivered her when he set her free. And the Bible said the ruler of the synagogue rebuked Jesus. Say, you mean we got six days a week and you want to heal on the Sabbath day? And Jesus rebuked him and said, Thou hypocrite. Which one of you having an ox or an ass does not loose it on the Sabbath day to, to go get a drink of water? So she, she went to the synagogue every Sabbath, but she couldn't get deliverance. Why? Because there was no manifestation of the Spirit of God. Jesus came in there, brought the Holy Ghost in there with him because he was anointed with the Holy Ghost. That's what the anointing is. The anointing is the Holy Ghost, Acts 10.38, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power, who went about doing good and healing all that were pressed of the devil. The anointing is the Holy Ghost. Even a good old Baptist preacher, when he preaches a good sermon, the anointing is the Holy Ghost, see? But he limits how far he will go in that with the gifts of the Spirit, a word of prophecy, a word of knowledge, a gift of healing. So they limit this, and that's why there's such 
an impotency in the body of Christ because of a refusal and denial to give the Holy Ghost the preeminence that he deserves in the church. Listen, they can't nobody preach, they can't nobody sing, they can't nobody teach until they are under the anointing of the Holy Ghost. The anointing makes all the difference in the world. I know I'm a preacher. I recognize the anointing. When I don't have it, when it's, sometimes I've had a little bit of anointing, sometimes I've had a modest anointing, and sometimes I've had a powerful anointing. And everybody knows the difference. I know it, they know it. That's what makes the difference is the anointing of the Holy Ghost. Absolutely agree. And we can all come up another notch or 10 in learning how to be led by the Spirit, can't we? In Proverbs 3, 5 to 6, trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not unto thine own understanding. It says all thine heart. You don't trust God with your head. Romans 10 says with the heart man believes. You don't trust God with your mind. You think with your mind. You don't lean on your own understanding, but in all your ways, How many of your ways? It says all. Repeatedly, it says all. And you just don't get God involved on only the tough things in life. In all your ways, we're to acknowledge him. And acknowledge means you actually acknowledge that God knows more than you. So it's not excluding him. It's including him. And then he will do what? He will direct your path. It's really important people get that, isn't it? Well, you incorporate God in every part of your life. In Psalms chapter 10, verse 4, David said, The wicked, through the pride of his countenance, will not seek after God. God is not in all of his thoughts or any of his thoughts. So the believer says, Whoa, before I make this decision, I want to incorporate God into my decision-making because I want to know the right way. There's a time to be still. Psalms 46, verse 10, Be still and know that I'm God. Don't move. Be still. Be patient. Wait on me. And that's where it takes being led by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit says, stop. Even Jesus, uh, after he's baptized with the Holy Ghost, Matthew 4, verse 1, then was Jesus led up of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. He didn't get there by happenstance. He didn't get there by his own thought process. The Holy Ghost led him to have this divine encounter with Satan himself, and he overcame him. But he did not have any encounter with him in that manner until he was first baptized in the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost descended upon him in the form of a dove. John heard the voice, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Then from that point onward, he came out of the wilderness. He went to the synagogue. He read from Isaiah 61. I quoted it there in Luke 4:18. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he hath anointed me. The anointing is the Holy Ghost. Yes, you're right. And Jesus wasn't led by feelings, emotions, and logic and reason. He was, as you just alluded to, spirit-led. Many people, Pastor, are head-led in most of what they do, feeling-led, emotion-led, logic-led. But it's making a commitment in a person's heart to say, I'm going to be spirit-led. People say to me, Sheila, I just feel so strong about this. Well, if you let emotion and feelings lead you, you can miss it. A lot of people, again, are calamity led, their circumstances led, and not led by the Holy Spirit. If people will 
let God lead them, they would be led out of confusion into light. They would be led out of death into life. They would be led out of fruitlessness into fruitfulness, wouldn't they? Well, yes, and I and I'm going to admit this publicly. I have made mistakes in my own personal life and ministry associating myself with people that I didn't pray about. I became a part of their life or I allowed them to be a part of my life and I didn't pray about it. And because I did not pray about it, there ultimately became a confrontation, a contentious situation because I was not led by the Holy Ghost. Now, I just told a brother the other day who phoned me, I said, I'm going to be straight up with you right off the bat. I'm going to be very careful with my relationship with you because I don't know you and I'm careful who I allow in my circle of my yes, life. Yes, yes. Remember, that most inner circle of those 12 apostles, one of them betrayed Jesus. Mm, so, that's good, yeah. So we've got to be careful who's in our most inner circle because the devil will try to work through them to get to you to bring some kind of harm or injury to you personally. I just finished a newsletter. I don't know when I will release it, but it's entitled People Who Are Hanging On To Your Life. And mm-hmm. the wrong people that hang on to your life are like remora. Remora are some kind of little animal creature that attach themselves to the belly of sharks. And while the shark is chomping and chomping and chomping his prey, they're under the belly attached to the shark eating the residual food that comes away from their mouths. They hang on, and they do nothing but be fed for nothing. Well, God has prompted me, you be careful. People are in your life for one or two reasons, to either give or to take. And you've got to pray and seek God and find that out. If you don't, you'll make a plethora of mistakes in your life because you did not pray about it. Well, I hate to use that word vampire, but it's almost like people are like spiritual vampires sucking the life out of people. And of course, the devil is a coercer and a manipulator, and he will try to get people to yield to the wrong associations, yielding to fear again. He'll try to get people to step into fear or step into situations where they should have used more discerning. And, you know, he can try to manipulate people into wrong choices. And it really requires discipline and getting tough and refusing to be led by anything or anybody but the Holy Spirit, doesn't it? You used a very profound word there, discipline. That's where we get the word disciple. They were his disciples because they were disciplined to his tenets, his dogma, his doctrine. Just like Islam. They are disciples of Islam. They are disciplined to that heresy. You can be disciplined to error. You can be disciplined to truth. That's what we want to be disciplined to, is truth. But the devil is a master at creating a mirage, uh, a fictitious situation, a scenario, and try to get you disciplined to that so he can ultimately, in the end, damn your soul. That's why the Pharisees kept adding and adding and adding to the Ten Commandments. See, they kept on adding. I think it ended up with 616, I believe is the number. But this is what man does. He, he brings his own ideology in with God's, and then it becomes corrupt. God's Word is not corrupt. God's Word is infallible. God's Word is immutable. God's Word is incorruptible. But men, when they bring in their thoughts, their imaginations, their whatever, that's where the error, 
begins to come. Jesus told the Pharisees in Matthew twenty-two twenty-nine, Ye do err, not knowing the Scriptures, nor the power of God. You know, the one man married, he died. The woman, she married his brother, he died. And she ended up having seven marriages, and all of them died. They said, whose wife will she be in heaven? They were there thinking carnally. He said, they're neither married nor given in marriage in heaven. They're like the angels. There's no need for procreation because you're, you're an eternal being. Thus he said, ye do err, not knowing the scriptures nor the power of God. This is the problem with the church. See, it doesn't take me but a minute or two to listen to any speaker, any preacher, and I can tell you in just a matter of minutes, are they right or wrong? Not because I'm smart. Not because I'm that bright or intelligent. It's because I know the scriptures. The scriptures reprove, they rebuke, they correct, and they instruct. And thus, if you don't know the Bible, and somebody says something, you don't know if it's right or wrong. That's why there's a standard of weight and measurements in the United States. 16 ounces make a pound. 12 inches make a foot. Well, if everybody had their own ruler, and everybody had their own weight machine, what in the world would we have? We'd have a convoluted, twisted world, and that's what we have in the church today because they're rewriting the Bible, they're adding things to the Scriptures, they're taking things out of the Scriptures, so they're changing the weights, they're changing the balances, they're changing everything. And now people say, well, I don't know what's truth. But wait a minute. Jesus in John sixteen thirteen said, How be it, when he, the Spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. That's the office of the Holy Ghost, is to keep you in truth, because he is called the Spirit of truth. Not a spirit, but Jesus says, when he, the Spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. And that's why we've got to stay in the Spirit, because that's where the truth is. Well, as you were talking, it reminded me of the story of Nicodemus. He came to visit Jesus. He was part of the rulers of the Jewish ruling council. These guys were getting downright murderous. Yet Nicodemus was prompted to go personally and talk to Jesus. And the big question was whether all the stuff Jesus was doing was from God. They're saying he's doing this, he's doing that, he's breaking the Sabbath. So Nicodemus came to him and said, Teacher, no man can do these miracles that you do except God be with them. He wants to talk about the work that he's been doing. But notice Jesus didn't, you know, he didn't mince words. He just goes right to the heart of the matter. He just looks at Nicodemus and says, You have to be born again. He's not trying to intellectualize anything or use semantics like these Jewish ruling council members. He doesn't tell him what he thinks or he feels. He gets right to the point unless a man be born again. Jesus, we see, was always led by the Spirit, and that is really important, isn't it? Well, what's key about that is, is verse 3 there, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, that's twofold. Number one, you cannot see it because you've got to be born again to become a part of the kingdom of God. Number two, you cannot see spiritually the things in the kingdom of God, unless you are born again. So when he said, except the man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God, he's not talking about just the visualization of being able to see God's kingdom. You can't see the spiritual depth and the breadth and the height of the things in the kingdom until you become born again. See, And Nicodemus was, was as you said, he was a ruler of the Jews with the Sanhedrin, 
and they were the most vile, corrupt, malicious murderers that ever walked in shoe leather. You know, I want to share this because the Lord just prompted this in my heart. In John chapter 11, all Jesus done was raised Lazarus from the dead. And because Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, many people believed on Jesus and then began to follow him. Okay, well, now we're about to go to the Passover feast in John chapter 12. And then it says in John 12 and 9, Much people of the Jews therefore knew that he was there, and they came not for Jesus' sake only, but that they might see Lazarus also, whom he had raised from the dead. But the chief priest consulted that they might put Lazarus also to death, because that by reason of him, Lazarus, many of the Jews believed on Jesus. So here's Lazarus, an innocent man, died, buried in a tomb. Fourth day, he's stinking, he's rottening. Jesus raised him from the dead. And the religious leaders, now, they're going to kill him. They said, we're going to have to put Lazarus to death because too many Jews are now believing on Jesus. Now, that shows you what religious people will do. They'll kill you. Is that being spirit-led? That's the spirit of the devil. That's the spirit of the Antichrist to kill Christian people. All because this man got a miracle. He'd done nothing to anybody. He was as innocent as anybody in the world. But because he got a miracle from God, the chief priest consulted that they might put Lazarus also to death. They were going to murder the man. You know, I think about the devil and the machinations and these religious spirits. And like you said, they're murderous. They're vile. But the devil ought to know better than to attack a Holy Ghost-filled believer. He should be getting a whooping, but yet... Sadly, Pastor Langford, Satan knows he's defeated more than most Christians, and that is very troubling to me. Well, you cannot defeat Satan on your own. That's why Jesus said, I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I'm going to send you the Holy Ghost and power. Luke 10, 19, Behold, I give unto you power to tread on serpents and on scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. You're going to have to have that power, see, I give unto you power to tread on serpents and on scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. And he's talking about Satan, because Satan is the serpent. He's a serpent in the garden. He ends up being a dragon in the book of Revelation, that old serpent, the devil, the dragon, the beast. So we have to have that deutimous power, that Holy Ghost dynamic power to overcome these things. And that's why it's, it's not preached today. And as I said, if it's not being preached, then people will not see it. And then God has no word to confirm with signs following. So because they're not preaching it, you're not seeing it being made manifest. You know, uh, not because of me, but I'm one of the few guys that adamantly talk about the Holy Ghost in my programs and when I'm on programs like yours. Uh, Brother Brad Med said some time ago when he first heard me, he heard me say Holy Ghost. He said it went through him like a bolt of lightning. He said, I've heard Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit. He said, but when you said Holy Ghost, he said, man, I felt power. I felt power just in that word, Holy Ghost. Well, the power's not me, but I said what the power was. And that's what makes the difference because there is power in the Holy Ghost. Well, and sadly, we have a lot of powerless 
people. Again, this is imperative. People get this. Without the Holy Ghost, without the baptism of the Holy Ghost, Christian life is but a facade, really. I was listening to an old school preacher one time, and that's what I love about you, Pastor Langford. You were one of the few men, you know, I used to just so look forward to summer meetings when they would have these revivals and there would be these old school preachers thundering away in the pulpit about the Holy Ghost. And that's what's really missing in society today because those words were convicting. And when you got out of that service, I'll tell you, you, you were, your heart was changed. Well, you knew you had been in church because the Holy Ghost had been there. He, exactly. he was there to touch the hearts and lives. It's amazing as a pastor, I've preached literally thousands of sermons, and it's amazing how I make one statement, and God will take that one statement, divide it into ten different ways, and it'll speak a different way to ten different people. He wanted them to hear it this way for their need. And they'll say, you said this, and I'm like, well, that's not the way I meant it, but that's the way the Holy Ghost directed it, because he was discerning their thoughts. See, uh, Hebrews 4.12, the word of God is quick and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to dividing sunder of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. So I quote one verse of scripture, and God sends it this way to Sheila Zelensky, and this is what she got out of it. And then it goes over to Steve Quayle, and this is what he got out of it. It goes to Joe Hagman, he got this, Doug Hagman got this. I only quoted one verse. But the Holy Ghost discerned the thoughts of their hearts and made it go into their hearing so they could get what they needed. I can't do that, but the Holy Ghost can. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. And you, I'm sure you've experienced this too, when there is a powerful, anointed man of God that is thundering away, reading the Word of God. It's just, it, it just slices right to the heart. Your spirit resonates with it. It's like you just want to shout out, Amen, don't you? Well, it's, the Word of God is for edification. That's why he told Timothy, 2 Timothy 4.1, he said, I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead, as is appearing in the kingdom, preach the Word. Preach the Word. Why? Because the Word is Jesus. John 1.1, 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. First John 5 and 7, there are three that bear record in heaven. The Father, the Word, the Holy Ghost, and these three are one. In that verse, John didn't call the Word Jesus. He called Jesus the Word. The Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost. The Word is Jesus. So when you preach the Word, you're preaching Jesus. But Absolutely. See, we don't, we don't preach the Word no more, so we're not preaching Jesus. We're preaching some false, perverted gospel. And, see, that was the whole reason of writing the book of Galatians to the church at Galatia. They were falling into Christianity slash Judaism, and it was a perpetual problem. And Paul said, I am marveled that you are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another or different gospel. He said it's not another gospel, but it's a perverted gospel of Christ. And that word pervert there in the Greek means it's a corrupted gospel. See, I know it's old school and I, and I get beat up about this, but I'm a King James guy. I don't care what anybody says. There's an anointing. There's a fluidness, a fluidity in the version of the King James, and there's power in it. And I, I do read other versions, but everything that I commit to memory, 
I commit to memory only the King James Version. It's withstood the test of time, and it's more apropos, Sheila, now in the 21st century than it's ever been before because it makes it crystal clear to the fallacies that are being preached from the pulpits today. That's why this book has lasted. That's why it's still here today. Well, and what are these people thinking that are changing it into the message, which is a very, that's not even a Bible version, yet people are packing that off to their mega churches. It's quite frightening what they've done with these NIV versions, these New World Order Bible versions. They've even got the Queen James Bible where they've made everything gender neutral and taken the word sodomite out of there. I was thinking of Revelation where it says, don't add or take away from this or the plagues will be released. I'm thinking, I guess somebody didn't get that. That part of it. But when you look at these lukewarm, watered down, dumbed down versions, it also really takes away the power, the dunamis power of God in that word because the word was made flesh, right? Absolutely. It's taking away from Jesus. No, what you're doing, you're diminishing Christ. You're making him less than what he is. See, he is the word. He is the word of God. His name is called the word of God. God. See? Revelation 19, 11, And I saw heaven open, and behold a white horse, and he that sat upon him was called faithful and true, and in righteousness he doth judge and make war. His eyes were as a flame of fire, on his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no man knew but he himself, and he was clothed with the vesture dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. Jesus is the Word of God. So when you take these new versions... You're taking away from Jesus, the Lord's Christ. That's the problem. You're taking away from his deity. You're taking away from his majesty. You're taking away from his lordship. You're taking it away. He is the word of God. As a matter of fact, if you look in most King James Version, when it says there in Revelation 19, 13, the word of God, those, it's in capital letters because that's one of his names. His name is called the Word of God. So so all the the words there, the Word of God, is capitalized. Yeah, it's that reverence, isn't it? Absolutely. And so they keep rewriting it, and they're taking out, like you said, and and people may not believe what you just said. There is a Queen James Version Bible, and they took all the homosexual references out of the scriptures to do away with them. That's why it's called the Queen James versus King James. They've literally changed hundreds, but they've removed 16 major scriptures. And it's prayer and fasting. That's really convenient for them to remove since fasting is the ultimate tool for dunamis power in your life, isn't it? Absolutely. That's what the disciples and think. They said, why could we not cast out this demon? Jesus said in verse 21, said, This kind goeth not out but by prayer and fasting. And fasting kills the natural, physical body and lets the spiritual man grow, and that's how you become more powerful. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. You never know, but you have to be sensitive to that suddenness and that showing up, see, it's like, the, it's like I've gone to the pulpit before, and the Lord said, don't preach that. And then he, he gives me the message, and I've not even studied for what he's telling me to preach. I don't do the preaching. The Holy Ghost does all the preaching then. 
Well, it's amazing how many times a person can have a, a whole sermon prepared and suddenly the Holy Ghost will take it in a whole different direction. I've had shows where I've had a man of God on and suddenly it takes a whole other direction because of being prompted by the Holy Ghost. He'll put something in your spirit. And I think fasting is really a way to become more sensitive to the Holy Ghost. And I believe one of the reasons, Pastor, why people are not hearing from the Holy Ghost is not only they're not paying attention, but they're not reverent, they're not respectful, they're not holding the Holy Spirit in high esteem and honor, and they're really not in obedience, because I think obedience is huge in hearing from God, isn't it? Well, yes, fasting is killing the natural man and allowing the spiritual man to grow and to be loosed. It's the, it's the carnal man that holds the spirit hostage. It should be the other way around. You see, we've been taught... We're human beings having spiritual experiences. That's erroneous. We're spiritual beings having human experiences. Jesus was a spiritual being, and the devil was wanting him to have a human experience and command the stone be made bread. So he wanted Jesus to give into his humanity, though we're all spiritual beings. But the devil wants us to believe, no, you're a human being, and occasionally you're lucky enough to have a spiritual experience but when you die you don't cease to exist you go on somewhere in eternity but your old clay jar goes back to the earth from whence it came but we are eternal beings but the 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 problem is we're held captive to this flesh paul in romans 7 24 i believe it is oh wretched man that i am who shall deliver me from the body of this death? For I say that in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. It's that, it's that body that holds us captive, see? It holds us captive. It's like putting water in a, in a jar and putting a, a cork in it. You, the water can't get out unless you pull the, pull the cork out, pour the water out. We're held in this jar. But what we have to do is keep this jar in subjection, 1 Corinthians 9, 27, Paul said, but I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest that by any means when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. Paul understood his problem was his flesh. Everybody's problem is their flesh. It's yes. not me that's blaming Sheila Zelensky. It's David Lankford that's got a problem with his flesh, and he won't deal with it. So I'm, the easy thing for me to do is to blame you for it. Right. Well, I remember, a, I remember a pastor once saying, subjection and direction means correction. That's a big part of it. We need to be receptive to correction from the Holy Spirit, don't we? Because most people, you know, they don't want to be led. They want to just do their own thing. They want to follow their own way. That flesh, you're right. There's really strong, there's four very strong words that I read throughout the scripture. It talks about grieve not, vex not, quench not, despise not. There's other words too, but those are strong words when it comes to talking about the Holy Ghost, isn't it? Well, see, here's what's ironic about that, what you just said there was, sinners and Christians can do the same thing to the Holy Ghost. Stephen said to the Pharisees, why do you always resist the Holy Ghost even as your forefathers did? Paul in Ephesians 4.30 said, And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you are sealed until that day of redemption. 1 Thessalonians 5 and 19, Quench not the Spirit, which means put the Spirit out. So Christians and sinners alike 
have the ability to do the same thing to the Holy Ghost. Sinners quench it because they don't want to get saved. Christians quench it because they don't know what he might ask them to do or how he might lead them or where he may take them or ask them to make this financial sacrifice. So, well, I'll just quench the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost says, I want you to write that ministry a check for $1,000. Are you kidding me? So they quench the Holy Ghost. So the Holy Ghost then to a sinner says, you need to go to the altar and repent and, and get right with God. And they quench the Spirit. So I'm not ready to get saved right now. I'm having a good time because I, I'm shacking up with my boyfriend and my girlfriend, and I don't want to give that up right now. So they quench the Spirit. So sinners and Christians alike can do the same identical thing to the Holy Ghost. All those adjectives that you used and described are perfect. Quench, grieve, bind, resist. Christians and sinners alike can do that to the Holy Spirit just from a different perspective, but do the same identical thing. I get really frustrated when people just sit there and they listen to someone blaspheming the Holy Ghost just because we want to be nice little Christians or, you know, we don't want to we don't want to cause a problem or offend anybody. But people just sit there and listen to the most abhorrent things. And I always say, you know, you cannot fellowship with demons. It will dull you from being sensitive to the Holy Spirit, won't it? Well, you brought up a very powerful point. All manner of sin, Jesus said he would forgive men. But blasphemy against the Holy Ghost shall not be forgiven unto men. He said, you can speak evil against me, the Son of Man, and it shall be forgiven you. But whosoever speaketh against the Holy Ghost, it shall not be forgiven him, neither in this world, neither in the world to come. You'll find that in Matthew 12, verses 31 and 32. So that's how precious the Holy Ghost is if you blaspheme it. And what blasphemy is, is contributing the works of God to the devil. So when people say, oh, that speaking in tongues is of the devil, you better be careful. You're blaspheming the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost is a gift. It's a promise. Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, Luke 24 49, Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry ye in the city of Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high. He wants us to receive this gift. So people, you know, I tell people, if you don't understand the Holy Ghost, just keep your mouth shut. You know? <laughs> yeah. Because if you blaspheme, now I didn't say that. Jesus said it will not be forgiven you. That's huge that people should heed that warning because it's not Pastor Langford's words. That is red letter words, my friends. Absolutely, it's red-letter words. It's Jesus himself saying that. He said, you can say any manner of evil against me if you want to, and it'll be forgiven you. But don't you speak evil of the Holy Ghost. And uh, I've heard men say some terrible, terrible things against the Holy Ghost, and I know in my spirit they sealed their doom. They See, because they are determined to be right, and that's the problem. We all have room for growth, for maturity, all of us should be growing. We, we, nobody has arrived. I learn something new every day because I try to spend every day some time in the Bible. I spend 95% of my time in the Bible, the other 5% reading other books and other material. But I spend my time in the Scriptures. Well, amen, because like I always say, red letters trumps everything else. <laughs> and I, I read one time that we can think of holiness like 
Because people go, well, I mean, Holy Spirit, think of the title there. It contains the, the first word is holy. And I read one time, Pastor, that we can think of holiness like Christ-likeness, being like Christ, being pure, being righteous, especially when we have such a society where no one is really attuned to the Holy Ghost. You just mentioned you spend a lot of your time in the Word, and that is the key, isn't it? Again, people's Bible are collect, you know, so-called Christians or Bibles are collecting dust on a shelf, and it just boils my blood, Pastor Langford. Well, you know, I want to grow. I want to mature. And the power, Romans 1 and 16, Paul said, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation. People talk about my preaching. It's not me. It's the word that I preach that's powerful. It's not David Langford. It's the word. It's the word of God. He gets the credit. But I preach his word because that's where the power is. The power's not in in my word. I tell people, you want to understand uh, the humanity, humanism? You want to understand the psyche of man? Read the Bible. It'll tell you all about man and how man behaves and how man acts, how foolish man is, how silly he is. It'll tell you everything about man. I don't need to read a a book written by a Ph.D. If I read the Bible, I'll find out how foolish men are. That is so true. I know people that have more degrees than a thermometer, but they don't have any discernment and Discernment comes through the Word. The Word is a discerner, and it only comes with the power of the Holy Spirit. Pastor Langford, in the waning moments, would you please lead my listeners into a prayer? And especially if those people don't know the Holy Spirit, if they are not baptized in the Holy Ghost, if they would receive that. If you're not water baptized, you want to get that done as well. Pastor Langford, please lead the listeners into a prayer. Father, You've given us your word in Acts 5 and 32 that you would give the Holy Ghost to them that obey you. And, Father, to obey you simply means to yield to you. As a father gives a son or a daughter a commandment to go and do something, if they do that, they are obedient and they are rewarded for obedience. You've given us your commandments. You've given us your word that we are to obey it. And if we obey the word, you promised we would receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. I pray that the Spirit of grace would touch the hearts and lives of multitudes tonight, and that, Lord, as they begin to pray and cry out to you from a hungry and thirsty heart, that you would divinely and sovereignly move upon them, and that they would wholly yield themselves to you and receive this promise, this gift of the Holy Ghost. For you said you would not leave us comfortless, but you would pray the Father, and he would send us another comforter, that he may abide with us and be with us and dwell in us. Father, I thank you for this precious, precious gift that teaches us daily how to live. It teaches us to be quiet. It teaches us when to speak. It teaches us wisdom and knowledge and understanding. Now I just ask you to open the spirit and the hearts of the real believers tonight and listeners that they might receive this precious promise and this gift which you've given to those who believe. And, Father, we simply ask it. In Jesus' name we pray, Lord. Amen. Amen. Now, folks, I want to encourage you to bookmark thevoiceofevangelism.com. And, of course, Pastor Langford's show can be heard Monday and Tuesday right here on WWCR. And, Pastor Langford, again, thank you so much for coming on the program. Folks, please send Pastor a note. And also, if you do not belong to a church, 
please consider financially sowing into a very powerful ministry indeed. Again, Pastor Langford, thank you so much for coming on tonight. It's always a joy to be with you, and uh, every time I'm with you, I feel edified and strengthened myself when I leave your program. God bless you. It's been a great joy. Thank you so much, Sheila. You have a blessed week. God bless you, too. Thank you, Pastor Langford. Folks, Pastor David Langford's website is linked there at weekendvigilante.com. Do go to The Voice of Evangelism and bookmark that. And again, his show can be heard right here, Mondays and Tuesdays on WWCR. The information and the showtime is linked there at weekendvigilante.com. Folks, I want to remind you that Don Blizzard from The Last Reformation is in Kamloops, British Columbia, Canada this weekend coming up Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. If you know anybody in British Columbia, let them know that he is here. That's going to be a very powerful kickstart weekend. And I want to encourage people to go to my website. And folks, I do want you to check out Steve Quell's new book, Genesis 6 Giants 2nd Edition. There's a link there at weekendvigilante.com. Again, people are emailing me where they can find the podcast. There is a direct link on my website where you can find the podcast. So click on the big pink button on the right-hand side. And again, sign up and follow my podcast there. Folks, I broadcast Monday to Friday at 6 p.m. Eastern right here on WWCR. Folks, if you're listening to this program, please do let me know how you like the program. And all the listeners at WWCR and WINB, please let me know that you are listening. And I thank you so much for tuning into the broadcast tonight, folks. Good night and God bless. The Sheila Zielinski Show is sponsored by SteveQuayle.com, offering a wide variety of products, links, headlines, and information for the end times. Order Steve's new book, Little Creatures, by visiting stevequail.com. Dare to discover, learn, prepare, and be amazed.